Welcome, Bridge Builders. Today's episode is an interview with Paul Collister. Paul is a mental health professional practicing in Bountiful, Utah. And I got to say, hands down, this is my favorite episode that we've recorded so uh, to date so far. I would encourage you to listen to the whole episode if you're able to. We wanted to give a content warning for this episode. We do mention suicidality a couple of times, so please be aware of that. Uh, we wanted to thank our donors once again, who have helped us raise some funds for some extra recording equipment. We'll be purchasing purchasing that in the near future. And if you would like to give us a last minute donation, please use the link to my Venmo in the show notes. We'll be taking a slight hiatus during the holiday season. You can expect one more episode two weeks from now, but we will pause after that and continue with new content at the beginning of 2023. We appreciate the support of all of our listeners. As always, feel free to send us an email to ldsbridgebuilders at gmail.com with suggestions and other feedback. Thank you. Lastly, please remember that we are not experts on religion, theology, or Mormonism. Any views expressed herein belong to those who made the statement and do not necessarily reflect the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or its membership. Welcome to the podcast today, everyone. Um, this is Latter-day Bridge Builders, and we have a special guest interview today. We have Paul Collister with us today. Um, Paul is a mental health professional here in Bountiful, Utah, and we just wanted to pick his brain a little bit and talk with him about his experience with mental health and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as well as just to get to know him a little bit more and his background and, and build some bridges. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for being a brave soul. I know this is scary. This is nerve wracking to, to kind of talk about these different topics, but we appreciate it a lot. Um, so, Paul, if you don't mind just kind of introducing yourself a little bit, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, well, thank you. I'm glad to be here and I'm um, nervous and have been looking forward to it. Hopefully, can relax and share something useful for your listeners. Um, my name is Paul Collister. I um, was born in Southern California, grew up in Bountiful, live in North Salt Lake with my family, my wife and three kids. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm a clinical mental health counselor here in Bountiful, Utah. And um, I'm not sure what else to uh, tell no, you. That's perfect. That's great. <laughs> How long have you been a, a therapist or like mental health counselor for? Is therapist the correct term to use, yeah, or therapist. would you prefer something like? Um, I'm a technically a clinical mental health counselor. Okay. So I have a master's degree in counseling, and a PhD in counseling as well. Okay. So counselor technically is the name of the field, but for me, counselor and therapist are interchangeable, and they're both perfect. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, attended the University of Utah, where I did my master's in counseling, and finished that in 2010. So. Post masters, I've been doing this for twelve, going on thirteen years. Wow! And how's that been? Do you enjoy the field? Has it? Have you? How do you feel like things have gone? I guess over time, as you've developed your skills, have you been interacting with patients? And I, I know you're now a small business owner here in Bountiful. You run Bountiful Counseling. Yeah, tell us a bit about how that's been going. I love what I do. Um, I could probably talk about that for a while, different different aspects of your question, but I love what I do. I think it's going very well. I've been um, full-time private practice for about six and a half years. 
Um, before that, I worked at a few different agencies, including the Utah State Prison, where I worked for three years doing um, substance abuse and trauma counseling with men in a men's facility. Um, before that, I worked at the at Valley Mental Health for two years, two-ish years, and um, doing working in a felony drug court and doing community mental health, and I've, and I've done a, a bunch of other things I've done. Grief groups have worked in a residential treatment center um, for a little while. Um, but overall, I love what I do. When I was um, maybe a teenager, I got the idea of counseling in my head and thought if you could be paid to talk to people, that was my job and that's what I would do. And um, as soon as I got in college, just pointed myself toward anything related to working with humans and ended up um, down this, this route. But I love what I do. That's so, that's so awesome. Such a needed field too. I mean, especially in Utah, it's like I mean, I, I work in the mental health field too with Paul. Actually, I, um, we work side by side in the same office space, um, and it's just like something that I come across a lot um, on on my end of things. I'm I'm more working with medications and things like that as a nurse practitioner, but um, I'm always hearing like I just can't find a therapist. I can't find a therapist. Like their waiting lists are you know, three months long and that kind of thing. I just can't get anything on it. I just feel like anybody who's got, I mean, for one, the desire to help people in this field and then the capability of being in this field for a long time and gaining that experience and being able to better help those people. I mean, that's just fantastic. So, yeah. Definitely. There's a huge need. The need, I think, is increasing. Um, COVID probably kind of expanded and exploded some of the need already. We had a shortage of providers in the country. And right now, Utah, uh, as I understand it, is in the middle of a, a population boom, um, doubling our population across a 50-year period. And um, in Utah, in particular, has a shortage of providers, which is a crisis. And I think some of the good things is some of the stigma, I think, uh, toward mental health and mental health treatment, getting counseling is decreasing. And that also is creating uh, more of a crunch and it can be very hard. I think it can be hard to find a good match of a therapist anyway, but it's, um, it can be very hard right now. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you with like the stigmas changing and stuff, just with people that I see in my circles, it's, um, becoming less of a issue and I'm seeing like ads, you know, yeah. time, like therapy. Maybe they just yeah. know that I need therapy, which I have been seeing a therapist recently. So I mean, maybe it's just maybe it's just me and my friend like kind of network, I guess. I don't know. But yeah. I feel like it's kind of a casual thing in passing now to just be able to say like, yeah, I was talking to my therapist the other day and, you know, this and that and this and that, you know, and that I think that's pretty awesome to be able to because it is a, fa a facet of health. Right. And. You know, you wouldn't criticize anybody for going to the doctor for a penicillin prescription or amoxicillin or whatever for a strep throat. But, you know, like, and yeah, so why would you criticize somebody for seeing the therapist? Totally. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So and I'd, add, and I'd add, even with the stigma decreasing, it's um, hard work, I think, to go and expose yourself mm -hmm. and um, be vulnerable and work on painful things. I think all of us. Um, underneath our social exteriors, we have something inside that um, we need to know that we're important, that we belong. We need to get feedback and to know that people like us. And even if we've done good or bad things, to know kind of our value and that we are special. And so we can have these attachment relationships that mental and emotional health is, and, and spiritual health maybe, mm -hmm. that have some intersectionality with mental health. But we have some 
I think it, it's a big risk, and I congratulate anyone who considers or starts therapy to go into that process. Yeah. Can can I ask, like, <clears throat> how do you, I know that it can be pretty taxing as a therapist to, you know, day in and day out be talking about these different issues. Um, how do you manage that? Like, how do you, do you have like, like some kind of self care that you engage in? Like, how do you, how do you come fresh every day? Um, that's a good question. And I think it's self care is a, a huge thing and very important. Um, there are lots of ways to answer that. I think having personal and professional boundaries are important to know how many people I can work with in a day or in a row or, um, in a week or over a period of time, managing my caseload. Um, in private practice, I have the luxury for setting up a lot of boundaries when I'm going to start my day, when I'm going to end it, and just regulating that, um, not really for my clients, but for me to just make sure I'm okay. I think also listening to myself is really important. Um, there's so many forms of self-care. I don't think self-care so much is about what is done, but so much as uh, a couple of things. One, I would say listening to my own body um, physically and emotionally noticing that biofeedback and when I start to have a degree of feedback make an adjustment and I might need to start to uh, see fewer people or um, not see as many people in a row or not take new clients for a little while or maybe I need to go to the gym you know a little more or maybe I need to write in my journal or talk to someone else or a consultant or a colleague or figure out what what to do but listening to that biofeedback I think is a really important measure the other thing I would say is evaluating my um, estimation or my priority of like how I balance my self-care, like how important is that compared to all of my other needs. And it's, I think, I think actually the key to self-care is um, certainly listening to myself, but then also when kind of uh, there's crunch time, making sure it's a priority. And even if I like physically for whatever my commitments can't change it, at least tell myself this is still important and like maybe right now I'm listening to clients or right now I can't do what I need to do I can't go to the gym right now I can't um, I don't know talk to my own therapist I can't go hang out with my loved one but I'm gonna do it tonight or I'm gonna stop you know whatever I'm gonna make a change and so that I can at least let inside know that I'm important and that um, is really critical to be able to you know keep myself um, you know, manage my relationship with myself and let myself know I also am important. Yeah. That really helps. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I like that a lot. I mean, like you're, you're going to be much more able to give, you know, uh, of yourself to your clients. If you're, you know, taking care of yourself and yeah. you feel like, like you are worth a lot. I kind of like what you said. It's really, that's awesome to have like that positive self image. Yeah. Yeah. It can also help to um, remind myself that I'm just a person and um, some of my th clients might love me and some might hate me, but remind them I'm just a person and then it's up to them and mm -hmm. I'm not God. And um, yeah, like if they don't want to get better, that kind of thing, you know, <laughs> well, with it, yeah, whatever. it's yeah. really in the end, not up to me. I can, you know, I have some good experience and, and training and skills, but in the end, I'm just a therapist and try to not take too much on and <clears throat> That sounds good. Um, if we could switch gears a little bit, still talking about your professional background a little bit and how it ties into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You wrote your dissertation on the Book of Mormon specifically and how that can shape members of the church, their worldview 
am I correct in like I did skim over it. It was a lot a lot of pages and stuff, but um, I read over what you sent to Garrett, like your kind of like synopsis of it and whatnot. And I think it's really interesting. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Uh, definitely, definitely. Um, is it okay if I share kind of the story of how I got into it? Sure. Totally, please. You're partially right. We did examine the Book of Mormon, but the purpose was not to evaluate the Book of Mormon or how the Book of Mormon impacts people. But we studied the sacred text of the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, particularly the Book of Mormon, to try and understand the worldview that's in it or how um, to examine the sacred text that people study, that are encouraged to study, you know, on a daily basis, examine um, how it presents a worldview to be able to understand from a multicultural perspective the spiritual worldview of Latter-day Saints people who've grown up in it, whether they're in the church or not, how it can impact how we see the world and think. I don't know if that was nuanced enough. No, that was good. Yeah, sounds like it. Be able to just get insight into how they view things, how they view other people, the world around them. I mean, I guess what what were some of the the findings that you had from that, from your studies and things like that? Well, I'll try and share the story. Is, is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So some number of years ago, I was in state conference. This will share some of my um, background. I was in state conference and having a prayerful approach, as I sometimes have in church meetings, to kind of ask for some direction. And I got a couple of kind of promptings or messages. One of them was to go back to school and get a PhD in counselor education and supervision. Earlier in my career, when I did the master's, I initially thought I would do a PhD in clinical or counseling psychology and ended up on a different road um, and did a master's in counseling, it, which was disappointing at the time, but now I, I'm very glad, and I think it's ended up putting me in a place that's different and, and it's worked out well for me. And and I had kind of given up on doing a PhD, but I got this, this message or prompting to go back to school. And part of the, to get a doctorate in counseling, uh, which is counselor education and supervision, the goal of which was to allow me to teach um, counselors on a master's or doctoral level. It didn't really have a purpose except to just kind of follow this message that I got from God or the universe. Mm-hmm. And so part of that is I had to do a dissertation. My initial idea was to study suicide. There's a particular in- intervention related to EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, a trauma-focused therapy. And I wanted to look at the effects of using, um, maybe want to explain this, but targeting positive affect or positive feelings associated with suicidal urges to help people work through suicide or self-harm behavior. That was my idea. When I interviewed for the program, I told them that, and they said, that's fine, you can study that. And um, I started to get into that and work with the professor, and we just hit a dead end. We ended up not studying what I, or trying to study exactly what I wanted to, but we studied a different aspect of suicide and risk. and hit a dead end and that didn't work. So we went back to the drawing table and never in my life would I have thought that in an academic setting I would have studied the Book of Mormon. And my professor, especially at the U, um, I think no professor at the U would tell me (laughs) to study the Book of Mormon or study my own faith system or my own culture. But where I was at Oregon State University, they take um, social justice and multiculturalism and diversity very seriously, and they often encourage people to try and understand themselves. And it was, um, and I think the church is um, just very polarized in Utah, and certainly at the University of Utah. And, and overall, I had wonderful experiences with my two degrees at the U. 
And my professor, who has some Catholic background, um, said, look, Paul, why don't, why don't you study your own faith? And why don't you study the Book of Mormon? And so to like back up a little bit, the field, uh, kind of the particular niche is called corpus linguistics that that professor does. And he doesn't do studies with human subjects. He studies texts and corpus linguistics is studying words. And so we don't study people. One of the advantages is we miss the IRB, the institution. Mm -hmm. Review board, uh -huh. we skip that, can save like a year, sometimes more or less, by not going through the IRB because um, we're just looking at words, so there's not human subjects directly involved or indirectly, really. And so you have to study some kind of body of text. And he said, Why don't you study the Book of Mormon? So that's, that's some of the background. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Um, <clears throat> so as you were starting to dive into the Book of Mormon, using the corpus linguistics and those techniques and those kind of things, what was starting to come up for you? Like as you, I mean, both personal on a personal level as you were starting to study this, but also, I guess, were there any insights that you were getting from that, that kind of offered a, a little bit more clarity into, Hey, this is, this is how we as members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints tend to view things in our world. Right. So to clarify, are you asking kind of going back to your question, what were the principal findings? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I went in with an open mind, didn't really expect to find any anything in any particular direction, didn't know what I would find. Um, so they call that like when you have a finding you don't expect, they call that a priori or it's like it's not something that you previously expect to find. But the finding is that Latter-day Saints have a theocentric point of view. This is a term that comes from theology, the field of theology which my dissertation has kind of dumped me into this world of theology, I think. Um, I've, I've heard uh, Terrell Gibbons uh, say and also describe that in the church these days, but not always, there's kind of this allergy to the um, word theology. But I've learned that there's just lots of useful information, perhaps in the, uh, you know, uh, Catholic, Protestant worlds, and, and, and I think probably everything, but in the church, there is this allergy to it, but it's been just very helpful. But theocentric comes from um, kind of a theoro uh, theological perspective, but theo referring to God, so it's this God-centered worldview. And what was counterintuitive to me is I would have expected it to be more Christocentric, which mm -hmm. focused on Christ. And I'd clarified that I don't think it means that there's no focus in Christ. Of course, there is a huge focus in Christ. The name of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Book of Mormon subtitle that was added much after the publication is another testament of Jesus Christ to kind of counter, I think, some of these claims and say, yes, we do believe in Jesus Christ. And what we found, though, is the worldview is not Christocentric, but it is the, the faith in Christ and the perspectives of Christ is... It's embedded in this global cosmological view that's based in God. God is our father. We are here on earth right now. We also have this pre-existence. We have this post-mortal existence. And our relationship with deity, with God, is what kind of drives everything. And, and we have this as Latter-day Saints, and I don't think we're the only ones that have some of these traits, but we have this need to know who we are, you know, perhaps if we still believe in God, have a relationship with God, 
And then that kind of directs, you know, helping us to understand who we are. You know, these are maybe some church ideas and primary answers, but who we are, where are we going? Why are we here? And even if we leave the church, some of these needs to know who we are and have an overall life purpose can be rooted back into this, I think, worldview that's portable, whether people are in the church or not. We need to have purpose. We need to have a relationship with the universe, know what it is. And I think a lot of the spiritual crises can be kind of traced back into that as um, therapists and mental health counselors. We're trained to help people work on relationships. Sometimes we're shy or embarrassed to address faith-related issues. My role as a therapist is never to get people to leave the church or keep people in the church. I really want to follow their lead. But when there's an attachment injury or a relationship injury, including like with the biblical, you know, character person Job, there was this rupture with um, when lots of bad things were happening to Job, it broke his worldview of his understanding of the universe. And he approached God and complained to him. And his friend said, you know, look, Job, don't complain too much. But he said, the more they told him to not, the more he complained. And his complaining actually leads to his theophany, his encounter with God in which God says, like, look, look, Job, you don't know everything. But what Job did cements his identity as this I thou um, sacred relationship that he kind of locates his identity. Cool. So that was that was kind of um, I think it may have drifted around, but no, that's no, these things have a theocentric worldview, and understanding that is um, which is different than non Latter Day Saint Christians. And understanding that can be uh, it's helpful for me to understand my own faith, and also to help me understand some of the issues that come in in my office. Mm. Cool. I had a couple questions going off of that. Um, one that came to mind was you mentioned that members of the church, Latter-day Saints, they have this kind of view on God that shapes their whole worldview. And Christ, maybe not is in the background, but it's almost, would you call it secondary? Or let's say it's rooted in God. Rooted in God first. Of Jesus, the Latter-day Saints, is to get us back to God. Sure. Okay. God sent him here so we could get back to God. Okay. For people that believe in the Trinity, it's absurd to say Christocentric versus theocentric. Christ and Jesus are the same person. Right. Mm-hmm. The worldview could be said as more like, what would Jesus do? It's about having a relationship with Jesus. The point of Jesus is to have a relationship with Jesus, and Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. And for Latter day Saints, we probably want to meet Jesus. We want to see him. Thinking about what Jesus would do would probably be helpful to us. But in the end, we want a relationship with the Father. Sure. We believe that he was praying to God. It's all about God. And this is it's about this this big thing mm. that's bigger than Jesus. Okay. Although he's he's the center, he's the redeemer. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say Does you, that answer your question? That does answer my question a bit, but it brings up the question like I feel there are a lot of Christian churches that say we aren't Christian, you know, evangelicals, other other faiths. And would you having this worldview like almost I wouldn't say we're not like Latter-day Saints aren't Christians because I still believe that Latter-day Saints aren't Christians but they're they are different in that sense than from the rest mm-hmm. of Christianity because they don't believe in the Trinity so to a non-Latter-day Saint Christian looking at us it would be just like completely different would you like do you think that because of that worldview that's kind of where that question from non-Latter-day Saint Christians comes from mm-hmm. 
when I defended my dissertation, there was a, a man, um, Asian man, on my committee mm-hmm. who I respect a lot, learned a lot from um, particular, uh, particularly teaching pedagogy. He grew up Christian, is Christian in Asia, not Latter-day Saint. I don't know all the nuances, but his response was, he made some comments, um, this is what we've been saying all the time, Mormons aren't Christians. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so like, it kind of does validate, I mean, I think from a perspective, it does validate um, this kind of, you know, maybe what's been called anti-Mormon information, you know, Mormons aren't Christians. And um, certainly from a Latter-day Saint view, we are very Christian. And I think with, um, I think especially Protestants, but also Catholics, they're, they're just, I think there's a ton of overlap and ton that's very similar and understood the same. And of course, um, I think there's some truth in the, the criticism, not that we're not Christians, but there are some views that are different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that'd be helpful for both members of the church and ex-members of the church to realize that when other Christians are saying that about Latter-day Saints, it's not in a way of like hate or spite probably mm-hmm. not like you like or love jesus less right perhaps but more just like it's just we yeah maybe maybe like and i don't know if i'm kind of recapping this in the right way but i guess what i'm kind of learning from you here is like christians tend to focus on christ as it involves their lives actively from day to day where it's kind of like how can i how can i act like Christ did in my day-to-day lives? How can I incorporate his love into my life more day-to-day? And then it seems like with Latter-day Saints, it's more like Christ is absolutely key, absolutely important to this overall plan. But like we're, we're very like destination oriented where we want to we want to be there with God, you know, kind of in the afterlife and that kind of thing. And I guess I'm what I'm. What I'm really, is the path to that, right? Yeah, it's kind of, it's more like planet salvation centered rather than like I don't know, like more day to day Christian centered. I guess that's kind of one I one thought I had. Is do you do you feel like that's kind of accurate, or do you? you know, what would you say? Yeah, maybe so. Um, brings up a couple of thoughts. Um, one is I th- I think that members of the church can or the church can be criticized. Uh, of course, from a hateful and spiteful place to say mm-hmm. you're not Christians, but I think it also there are like significant cultural differences as well, whether it's said hatefully or not. And I think understanding that's helpful. And I want to clarify that I do have a Latter Day Saint background, and I don't think I have a like a it's not my natural language or culture, um, Protestant or Catholic or non Latter Day Saint Christian. And I think understanding that one of the implications is that when, and I, and I have had a number, you know, definitely more Latter-day Saint clients or clients with Latter-day Saint backgrounds, but there's some people I've seen that have um, non-Latter-day Saint Christian backgrounds. And an implication here is to be able to own my own, as well as I can, bias and blind spots and understand there's some clients that have a different worldview and start to try and attune to that and the differences, including when faith or spirituality might be a really important part of people's how they see the world to try to hold myself back and realize I need to try and see it from a, a non-Latter-day Saint view. Yeah. So that that's really helpful. And I think similarly, there's an implication for um, therapists that don't have a Latter-day Saint view. They need to kind of do the same thing and realize there's a worldview they don't understand. Just like if you're working with someone from a different race, 
than you or a different age or different background, different gender, gender identity, sexuality, whatever, um, to just have some cultural humility and just realize this person sees it different and try to kind of, as much as we can, step into their skin or put ourselves in their shoes and try and see it from them and let us, you know, learn as we work with them about them. Yeah. Um, I think I had some other questions, but I, or other thoughts as your with your comment, but yeah, no, I yeah, I, th- I think you yeah respond to a lot of those. Um, I, I I am wondering, kind of, I mean, like, c- kind of, I guess, transitioning to, to talking about kind of some some of these things that you've learned from your dissertation, and then now applying it when you're meeting with clients and things like that, especially pertaining to clients that are in a faith crisis. I, I wonder what. When we're talking about worldviews, from that perspective, do you feel like there's any insights from what you've learned with the dissertation um, as to why why is it such a heated, you know, debate amongst members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who are active and then also um, members who have then left the church or who are struggling and they've kind of taken their distance from the church? Why do you feel like that? that there can't be like a coexistence in that worldview, I guess. I don't know if that question makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I add something else to kind of before that question? Yeah, of course. One thing that was very interesting to me while I was um, trying to write up my results, um, when I was writing my dissertation, my advisor encouraged me to go to church and just sit in the primary room and listen to the songs and think about what was represented in there. And I was surprised, even though I, you know, mostly know the songs, there are probably some new songs, I don't know, but I was surprised that, um, and they had, they went through an exercise where they listed all the songs and had some kind of game where you had to guess the songs, but they were all listed. So I could just see the ones they were practicing maybe for an upcoming primary program. And it was something like nine out of 10 were about God or the plan of salvation. <laughs> and. I think there maybe was one about Jesus, one about temples. And I looked around at the pictures too, and it's, um, it appeared that my findings were represented in the song, that there's this theocentric worldview. And I think if we go to a Protestant church, I didn't go to a Protestant church, but did spend some time talking to some of my Protestant colleagues, their songs are more about Jesus and sweet Jesus. Mm. Yeah. And, and as I like casually interview people, to kind of think through my results, they talked about how when they're in distress, they're they're thinking about um, just just directly Jesus. So that, that even just kind of on the primary level is very interesting in the songs that mm. show up there that it has this topic of of God. How can we connect to God? This theocentricism. Yeah, especially in such formative years, you know, like with you know, as as we both know, like in mental health, it's like as a child that your neurodevelopment is like, I mean, most of it happens during those young years. And so if you're, if you're, especially if you're raised in the church and, and maybe that would be an interesting discussion kind of separately about converts who maybe have a different worldview, um, that then integrate into the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, members who grow up, uh, in their childhood and they're singing these songs and they're developing this worldview. I mean, that, that becomes pretty ingrained. Um, I guess also to your argument, even if somebody leaves the church, you still have this theocentric world re- worldview rather present still. 
Right, and um, and I, I think that's probably there's some interesting questions from a neurological developmental method or you know level of analysis and to look at how are we impacted by songs we get as children in primary or children's Sunday school and and I think I think my angle is not necessarily how are we impacted as children and is that good or bad but more it's, it's been said that you can like really understand the what what a a church believes by just looking at their their music and um, hmm. and their music that they teach children that's what happens everywhere you teach children music and mm-hmm. it's like an interesting way to yeah. Analyze. We could do a different corpus linguistics study. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. I don't know if I yeah. thought about that in this book or the you know the new handbook that apparently is going to come out. But. That's pretty interesting because I guess it forces you know the to it forces the church to kind of break down its main components of its doctrine into very simple terms that can be sung in a song and understood by children. Mm-hmm. So I mean that that's that's a very seems like a very I mean, a very quick and thorough way to be able to understand like the the basics of of somebody's belief system. Yeah, I'll try to go back to your question, but oh, Mitch, did you have something? Um, I have like a kind of separate question, so we can kind of go back to what Garrett was saying first. But yeah, tell me how are we doing on time? We're about halfway through. We've been okay. going for about thirty yeah. minutes, so I don't have to be too truncated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's right. yeah. We're good. So can you repeat yeah. your question, kind of what, how do I work with a spiritual crisis? It seems like it was in there. And how yeah. do I, and also, why do I think people can't talk to each other? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, like, do do you do you feel like there's maybe a, a maybe even a hunch? I'm 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 sure this maybe wasn't the focus of, of the dissertation, but maybe just like an idea of what why is it that members who are in the church actively and then also members who are outside of the church, despite the fact that we seem to have, we, we both seem to have theocentric worldviews. Why is there such a clash there? You know, why, why is there so much heated polarized debate between these, I mean, sides, if you will. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I'm have any new or profound thoughts but I can sure it comes to mind um, the other day I was reading a post in one of my Facebook's, Facebook groups Mormons Building Bridges most of the dialogues there very respectful it's one of their rules and um, I was reading some of the LGBTQ related posts and I was just kind of shocked I went through a, pay, a phase where I was reading a bunch of their posts and haven't read them for a while and my email sent me a message so I followed it and read a couple and I was kind of shocked at just the level of vitriol and and I don't think I think the the writers I I you know that I read I think they had good intent they weren't trying to be mean or hateful I mean maybe they were but it felt like there's something deep in their hearts and their souls that's been violated and their understanding of what the church is supposed to do that's just been really deeply hurt and that can be around gay queer issues or or other things but I think um, people have had uh, using a kind of a therapy term attachment injuries and they feel betrayed um, probably by different things sometimes by the church leaders some people might feel betrayed by President Nelson some might feel betrayed by the prophet they used to love President Hinckley that I you know I grew up knowing and loving some I think are not so much betrayed by the church they feel betrayed by God and I think there's just so of course, we live in a very polarized world that is, as you said, Mitch, before the interview, uh, it's probably getting worse. I'm going to get, be getting worse. And, and I, I hope this podcast you're doing um, 
will help with that, but just some big um, betrayals that have happened, um, real or perceived, that I think it doesn't really, in some ways, doesn't, from a therapeutic perspective, to me, it doesn't really matter if they're real or perceived. I mean, some level it does matter, but they, they all are kind of worthy of taking a look at, and I think we don't have a lot of language or venues to just address that. And, and the church itself, I think, is, is, I think, probably quickly trying to get caught up to speed, but the church, I think, doesn't have a lot of ways to to work with this. And there are people that have you know, left the church in the past have been really marginalized and devalued and their voices haven't been heard. Recently, I was reading about the, um, the biography of Eugene England and how he was treated in the church, this person who was a very faithful Latter-day Saint. And, you know, part of the church is not being open to um, really supporting members being part of the magazine dialogue or the journal dialogue, you know, left it just going in a really kind of a more liberal perspective. And and I, I think it's unfortunate, and it seems like the church is probably regretting some of that. But For those who don't know, dialogue magazine and journal is like a more left-leaning, very nuanced view of the Church of Jesus Christ for Latter-day Saints. So it's a little bit more professional, like journal, if I would... I haven't looked too much into it, but um, for those who don't know, you can go check it out. We'll put a link in the show notes for it. So if you feel so inclined, they do. (laughs) They do have some different views on things for sure. So um, I did have a question also kind of going back a little bit. This theocentric worldview, I know it's often, and even there have been like talks in general conference about this, um, kind of like uh, if you leave the church, where will you go kind of feeling. And to me, just like learning more about this, like I kind of see that as perhaps like we have this view on God. If you're going to abandon that, what what's your new belief system going to be? You know what I mean? And having stepped away from the church a little bit myself, I've kind of felt that way. And just things I've seen online, you know, with David Archuleta recently saying that he's stepping away. Like people are like, well, where is he going? You know, mm-hmm. like there's this I feel like there's this need within members of the church to have something to go to community right there's lots of things yeah so i think that maybe just has a part to play like in this whole discussion as well Mm -hmm. and it's something everyone kind of has to deal with you know like i know garrett has dealt with like Mm -hmm. different views on spirituality differently than i have Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and i'm just like open to any and every possibility like moving forward but yeah it really does like rock your world as soon as you kind of like yeah, yeah, for go sure. Go through a faith crisis in that sense. No, I think that's a really good point that you bring up because, I mean, I now that we've ha- we're having this discussion about this theocentric worldview, I definitely can recall like when I was transitioning out of the church, like th- I don't I don't know why, I, but I was continuing to look for these answers at least initially, where it was like, what what is the what is the map? You know, <laughs> like I, I what is like the I, truth? Right? Yeah, yeah. How, what what am I going to be using now to guide me? Like where where am I ultimately going to end up? And I and I wonder if that's because, like, you know, maybe if I had been raised differently, I wouldn't even have that expectation that I would know that or want that. Maybe that's just something that's embedded. You know, as a member that, that we we offer these answers, you know, and and like it's possible to find these answers. And so then we kind of yearn for them because we know it's possible or once believed that they're possible. I don't know. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, probably have opinions about anything you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the place to share them. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
one of the findings, um, we analyzed the Book of Mormon. You haven't really asked me that, and I, I don't know that it's important to get to, but mm -hmm. we analyzed the Book of Mormon in a different, couple different ways. Um, one of the ways we did it is doing a keyword analysis, comparing it to other books of scripture. We compared the Book of Mormon to the New Testament to say, what are the words in the Book of Mormon that tend to show up um, uniquely compared to the New Testament, and then the New Testament uniquely compared to the Book of Mormon. And we did that with the Old Testament that we called um, in, in scholarship, the Old Testament we called the Hebrew Bible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we did a keyword analysis also examining the what words show up in the Book of Mormon uniquely compared to, you know, a, we call it a corpus of interest compared to the Hebrew Bible as a reference corpus and then vice versa, what keywords show up in the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible compared to the Book of Mormon. And it's very interesting of, of what we looked at, but one of the findings um, in some of these analyses is that um, it makes sense looking backward, but was not something I ever would have expected. But the level of focus in the Book of Mormon compared to the New Testament is on civilizations. And it's this really big um, bird's eye view versus the New Testament is more focused on individuals. The key, the top keywords of the New Testament were Bible, you know, uh, the top keywords were Bible characters, Jesus and Paul and John, these uni unique individuals. And in the the new in the Bible, in the Book of Mormon compared to the New Testament, there were names of civilizations like Nephites and Lamanites. And of course the words Nephites and Lamanites are not going to um, show up in any other book. Right. But there also are words like lands and peoples. And it's this interact it's this level of focus on the the interactions with God and his people and prophets and his people versus the New Testament, the level of focus is more on individuals talking. And I, I think this kind of fits with some of the Christocentric worldview as um, non-Latter-day Saint Christians read the New Testament and look at these interactions with, you know, with relationships with Jesus and what is the relationship of individuals with Jesus versus this overall more communal view. So I, I um, so we argue that there, one of the findings is within Latter-day Saints and within this theocentric worldview, we all are God's children, but we're also, we all have this covenant or whatever relationship with him, and that creates a relationship with with us among ourselves and there's um just a huge any anyway that's a long way to say that there's just one of the findings is to say that we have a need to belong and not just with god and to have our identity kind of connected with that or have a purpose where we know how we fit in in this big kind of pre-mortal to mortal to post-mortal mm -hmm. plan of salvation that you know church calls it but also how do we fit in with our communities hmm. yeah so, being part of the group, part of the covenant people, right? Huge. I think yeah. that's huge. And when it comes to counseling, I think keeping that in mind, I don't know that someone needs to like read the dissertation and figure it out, but part of what I need to do, I think, is facilitate a process when people come in, like you said, Garrett, and say, well, where do I go? And, and it sounds like you're kind of saying this to like church members or general authorities or con in conference say, where, where are you going to go? And I don't think people should stay in the church because they don't have a place to go. I don't think people should stay in marriages because they don't have a place to go. I think you should stay if you want to in the end, stay in your marriage, stay in your marriages if you want to, stay in the church or your churches if you want to. But I think counseling can help facilitate this process. Like I, as the therapist, I don't, I don't know where you should go or who your community is going to be. 
I just trust you're going to work it out. And if you think you can't, you know, maybe your only option is to kill yourself. And some people come in saying, I'm in such a crisis, you know, if I, if I don't stay in the church, my options are stay in the church or kill myself. And I, I think that's like horrible, horrible place to be in and, and is ridiculous in some ways. But for some people, that's where they are. And I think in mental health counseling, I can help people to figure out another pathway. I don't tell people what to do, but exploring that and answering that. I think it's just very legitimate and I think it's a wonderful service that I sometimes can add is help people figure out, okay, where are you going to go and what's your life going to look like? And that will kind of mourn and suck and it'll probably be wonderful and give you some freedom too. And that's, that's what we deal with is emotions and decisions and relationships. Well, yeah. No, I mean, that's, a, that's phenomenal that you can be able to see, like to be, be open-minded enough to be able to, almost set your own belief system aside and be able to say, Hey, you know, let's, let's, let's look through your lens, you know, and see, you know, where, where are you going? And yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, What's I, your life purpose going to be now? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess, yeah. Ha, how, I mean, it, it sounds like you've had some experience with this. What, what kind of things I guess would you recommend maybe to somebody who's in a similar situation where they feel kind of torn between these choices, these very, you know, dramatic choices, even, you know, like, like all is lost if I'm out or, you know, or I stay, you know, what, how would you recommend that somebody break that apart? I know that's kind of hard when it's not a specific person in front of you, you know, with a very specific um, sure, story, sure. but yeah, I mean, if, yeah, yeah. Well, if it comes down to it, you could go to therapy. Um, there's a shortage of providers, but if you keep at it, you'll probably find someone. And the first, first or second or third person might not be the right, but right person and fit. But there are people. I think most, really, every mental health professional should, whether. I guess this is a like a pet peeve of mine coming up that I don't hear very many people talking about. But every mental health therapists should be trained in kind of multicultural ideas, including around faith. People who are in the church, as providers and out of the church, everyone should be able to help everyone. And many people are not going to be able to, but I think um, competent mental health therapists in the church are not. And I know that a lot of times Latter-day Saints want to go to a Latter-day Saint therapist and people outside of the church are going to feel judged. And I think the important thing is not so much as your therapist in or out of the church, but do they have room to just take you in wherever they are and mm -hmm. and that's the way we're trained and that's part of our ethics and professionalism and our licenses that we keep up is we should all be able to work with everyone i love working with latter-day saints who may or may not have a faith crisis and to work with whatever mental health issues come up and i also love to work with people who have have been in the church and leave and work with whatever spiritual issues but so anyway, uh, go to therapy, I guess, if you need to. And, and if you're considering dying, I think that's a lot better than, than that. I mm -hmm. hope to, you know, we need fewer um, suicides. Absolutely. And um, everywhere, including here. Um, but I, I, I think uh, another answer coming up, like, what do I recommend? You know, I don't know what would happen in a specific or what should happen in any specific situation. Even if I know someone, I don't. I think in the end, it's up to a person. But one of the ways that I like to think about what my expectations of therapy clients is, is to just put into words your thoughts and feelings. I would encourage people, wherever you are, to trust yourself. You may like yourself, you may not like yourself, but I encourage you as much as you can to trust yourself 
and in some place find a place this is definitely a therapist perspective but find a find a place somewhere where you can be able to really consider and take seriously and as much as you can try and separate the parts of you that don't like yourself or don't like your thoughts and just to really take it seriously and i i trust from a actually from a religious perspective and a a therapeutic perspective that when we trust ourselves that's going to lead to good things wherever it lands yeah i like that a lot how's how's that answer perfect that's a perfect answer well yeah i was gonna say maybe even to put that into other words like if uh, someone out there has a loved one who's on a different page than them like letting them trust themselves you know what i mean like whether that Mm -hmm. be someone who's leaving the church and a member of the church like once isn't sure how to feel about that like yeah just like let them like trust themselves you know and then vice versa you know there's a lot of ex-members of the church who feel like these people are deceived you know we gotta get them out of there and stuff like that it's like no let them trust themselves and they have their reasons for staying as much as you have your reasons for leaving right and i think that would help bring people together rather than this i'm right and you're wrong kind of feeling all the time Mm -hmm. there's an unfortunate rigidity in our society and i'm afraid in me too i try and have a healthy amount of rigidity not too much or too little sometimes i probably have way too much but i think there's a lot of rigidity in our society and it feels like there's a lot of anxiety in the church or has been with people leaving that like the world is going to end and you know it may maybe people's salvation's on the line but i i also believe um i don't i don't know that as members of the church we always we give it a lot of lip service and i think believe it and believe it deeply but also don't always take seriously agency mm-hmm. But it's in one of the questions earlier, like, what's the problem or what's needed? And I think one thing is to just recognize that we are in a pluralistic society, including like within the the greater Latter-day Saint community. And I think we need to make more room for our differences in politics and religion. And it's very it's very hard. And I have, you know, some of my own political and religious opinions, probably probably more political rigidity <laughs> I think we uh, with the church I think we need more and in our communities we need more space to just allow people freedom to think and feel what they want and make decisions mm-hmm. yeah and I think there's something to be said for like I, I liked how you put it like a, a healthy amount of rigidity you know where we can still feel like we can choose ourselves how we want to live and how we want to believe and you know like being being open minded enough to just understand somebody else not necessarily that we have to alter or change our own moral code or belief system or anything like that because i mean i think there is a lot of pressure in our society today to conform to certain ideas that we're we're feeling like we have to for like to conform in a, a certain way of believing but just being able to be like oh you know that that's how you think. That's how you feel. That's great. You know, I don't, I don't feel that way, but I'm not going to hold that against you. Mm. I like that. It's a very healthy way, in my opinion, to approach it rather than this. Yeah. Cause I, I'm, I'm right. And you're wrong. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, I feel like ultimately, you know, like it's like it, if you have like a, a really healthy debate where everybody's respecting another party and, and you're going to end up with some kind of like solution that everybody can agree on. I mean, at least hopefully more often than what we currently do, if we can still be able to feel like we can live according to our values, but also be able to see the other perspective. Yeah. And not even so much it has to be like a debate, you know, like, well, here's like counter argument and like all this stuff, but just like talking with someone who's not in the same boat as you for whatever the reason, you know, like whether it be someone who's LGBTQ and you're straight 
or something like that, or into the church, out of the church, conservative, liberal, et cetera, et cetera. Just like being able to listen to someone and like why they feel like what they feel, why they believe what they believe. I think everyone would want to feel validated in that sense. Um, and to be able to put yourself out there and say like, Hey, I want to listen to you and your story. Like that just goes a long way with people, I think. So, Mm -hmm. and and something, uh, as a therapist, but also as a person, people like really make their own choices. They're themselves. They share what they really think, not just their, their opinions, but are real, really who they are and are true to them. There's something in me that lights up and says, this is, this is good. And this is who this person is. And I feel connected with them and I don't think my job is to keep you know you two or any anyone else in the church or out of the church but it's you know and and you might you know who knows what we'll decide today and who knows what we'll decide tomorrow and we all have our paths and they're complicated and I want I don't want to have burdened you with trying to force you to do something that I can't force you to do anyway right yeah uh, that's just those are the words of a skilled therapist. I think you know, it's like, it's like you you kind of like guide them to their decision, and they don't even realize it. You know, like that's like when you've done good therapy. <laughs> yeah, although I, I think it's over. I try and make it over that it's their their decision in the end, and um, I don't I don't want it to be a secret at all that they're making their own decision. And um, yeah, I think I can have some good influence, but my 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 stock is putting it in them, and you know, who they are. I'm, I'm voting on them. I'm not voting in giving them the power kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's excellent. That's cool. Yeah. Well, sweet. We got a few minutes left. Um, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would like to Paul or, um, no, it's been really, really in- enjoyable. You've got me, um, just thinking it's been fun to kind of think out loud and get your questions. I appreciate you yeah. asking me. If you have any other questions, I'm glad to, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I guess I am, how are we doing on time? Oh, we got like 10 minutes, 10 minutes left. Yeah. Um, and feel free. I mean, we can, you know, like I, I don't want to ask personal questions that are just too personal and if you know, feel free to won't offend us. Um, I, I guess a question I have is, do you feel that, I mean, often in the church, at least uh, personally, you know, especially when I was active, I, I just, I felt like that, that rigidity, um, would go as far uh, kind of collectively as, as a church almost, uh, not with everybody, but with most people, there was almost this rigidity to refuse to see another perspective that mm. we, we know that this is the right way and like, and there can be no other way. And so, you know what I mean? So that, that there was a rigidity there and I'm not saying that that's right or wrong because I mean, I believe differently than that, but, uh, I guess what I wonder is, seeing that you are able to embody these very open-minded concepts, being able to place yourselves yourself in um, someone else's shoes and be able to even uh, guide somebody to make their own choices with a faith crisis. Do you ever feel like there are times when you have to reconcile that as an active member being more nuanced enough, at least to be able to see someone else's perspective? Do you ever feel like it's something you have to reconcile yeah, in the church when others perhaps are not that way. Can you, uh, I'm not sure I understand your question. Can you yeah. say it a little more? How, like when people are, have a view that I don't have, how do I reconcile that? I guess what I mean is kind of like, uh, active members, uh, in the church, these Christ Latter-day Saints, oftentimes they're, they're not, uh, willing to be open-minded. 
Mm-hmm. And so I guess what I wonder is, I know that you're, you are an active member. And so when you find yourself surrounded by other active members, do you ever feel like you have to reconcile uh, your own personal differences between yourself being somebody who's very open-minded and then those who are in the church who are active not being very open-minded, if that makes sense? Is there ever any conflict there? Yeah. If I understand your question, no, I don't feel like I have to reconcile what other people like think or their open-mindedness. I um, certainly can get very frustrated and um, my my wife could share. I get certainly very frustrated sometimes in Sunday school um, in elders quorum. Um, I don't feel like I need to correct anyone. Um, I'm not sure how to summarize all my thoughts. One of my one of my criticisms, including um, with my recent education, there's a lot of training in pedagogy. I'm frustrated with a lot of things the way uh, things that are taught in the church, and particularly, I think there's some old school kind of didactic kind of teaching where the teaching is focused on the teacher and on the lesson. I think there needs to be more teaching directed toward learning rather than teaching and on the. See, I'm losing some of my phrasing of this, but that's focus on on the individuals and the, the learning and not um, the teacher, not teacher focused or lesson focused. I think with Come Follow Me, I suppose you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. I think that is trying to go in some of these kind of newer methodologies. But my frustration is not so much that um, people have the wrong opinions about anything, but I, I frankly wish people would just speak up more and there's more openness to have conversations. I think it mostly people don't feel safe to feel, you know, say anything that's negative about the church. And, and maybe it's really not safe and maybe it's good that people don't talk about that, but I wish there was more diversity of thought. And sometimes I find myself with lots of opinions and um, can feel, certainly can feel shut down, but there's just not an open dialogue. And, and one of my identities is a group worker, a group therapist, and sometimes also not just in Sunday school and elders quorum, but also in ward councils, I think they're, um, there's more potential than usually is like facilitated or allowed to really have a rich discussion and let on uh, I don't really have much perspective on the kind of the macro or kind of general authority level but on the micro level on ward and state level um, my perspective is that their councils included that there, there could be more you know of bringing in voices and diversity and inclusion to help members find a place and to I think have good impacts in the church. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that's no, interesting. Or, that's exactly. I can get frustrated. And, yeah, I guess that's what I was getting at. I was just kind of yeah. I wanted I wanted to kind of to see your perspective of uh, kind of inside the church. Like, do you do you find that there's, which you know you just answered. Do you find things certain things frustrating? Do you find things that you wish would change? Um, yeah, and I guess that how, how that affects you, but that, that's perfect. That answers that question. Yeah, yeah and, and I hear, uh, from what I understand, you both are not attending church right now. And mm-hmm. you came to my elders quorum, or if we were to have like a subgroup and, and our elders quorum were just as three, I think it probably would end up being something really meaningful to you. Yeah. Because you're in the church or out of the church, but if you can just be yourselves and follow your own vision, we right. can have a heart-to-heart on that. I think we would be communing and having a, a wonderful experience. I, I agree. And I mean, Mitch and I have often, as, as we've talked, you know, we, we've sometimes, you know, at the, at the end of the podcast episode, we hit stop, you know, on the record button. And then we're like, 
wow, I kind of feel the spirit, you know, <laughs> like kind of, kind of like this weird, you know, yeah. this kind of like uplifting feeling almost that's like, you know, we, we've shared our opinions. We're different. We have different thoughts and emotions, but we can somehow just, just be okay with each other and, and just coming together, um, respecting one another and our differences. Like when, when that can happen, that seems to be a very powerful, uh, experience. Yeah. That's been, <clears throat> I went to church a couple weeks ago and sacrament meeting was fine, you know, but then in priesthood, I just felt like I can't share anything here. You know what I mean? Because I'm different. They brought up things like, you know, these covenant breakers, they're falling away and they ruin their lives and stuff. And I'm just like, well, I'm, I'm one of those people, you know? Yeah. And I kind of wanted to just be like, stand up and be like, Hey, like that's me. Like, right. You know, if you knew yeah. someone was sitting here, would you change the way you like phrased what you just said or something? Um, that's in that boat. So I don't know. Yeah. It's it's tough. It's a, yeah, it's a complicated thing because, and I've, I've thought of this a lot. I've thought about this a lot too, especially as I was sort of leaving the church. I had this this sort of phase where I was trying to be very nuanced, uh, very non literal believer, if you will, and still share my thoughts in church. And then I, I started to feel initially I felt like, yeah, you know, I'm going to I'm just going to share my thoughts. I'm going to be that diversity um, that I so crave in church. Um, but then I, I remember thinking to myself that, you know, on the one hand, it's like may, may, maybe these members don't really want that. You know, may, may, maybe maybe there's some, you know, maybe there's some who are struggling and who, and who would like a, a similar perspective, perhaps. But maybe, but maybe there's many, maybe the, even the majority that hope to come to church just to be uplifted and, and sort of reinforced in the way that they already believe. And so then, then that was, that was really a, a pivotal moment for me to realize that, Hmm, you know, sh should I, should I stay just to, just to say something or should I leave out of respect that these individuals can share in a safe space without somebody always offering a contradiction? Yeah. That's an important focal conflict of, yeah, speaking or not. And there's this desire inside to speak. And when you start to think about that desire, this fear kicks in. This is uh, called focal conflict theory. <laughs> Put a link in your notes. Sure. Focal conflict theory, but there's this conflict in you of, of which way to go. And I don't know which is the right way, but um, I can certainly relate to that fear and I can relate to that desire to say what you think. Mm -hmm. and on Sunday in Elders Quorum, we studied uh, Daniel. And I didn't talk most of the time. And at the end, I kind of made a complaint about how we were, you know, it's helpful to go back to the context, the kind of historical context of Daniel. And I made a comment about monotheism and how important this is. And this was kind of what allowed the Jewish faith to continue to persevere in this, you know, world where usually once your nation was killed, you were done. And, you know, your nation wouldn't survive outside of Jerusalem or the capital city. And it, you know, went into Babylon because of this monotheism and and this is like this the maybe esoterics like scholarship that I know you know an inch about but um, part of me felt satisfied for speaking and part of me felt like no one nobody cared really, <laughs> yeah about, and man felt like I was being too negative and I probably ended up being more negative than I meant to but yeah it is really a hard balance to strike and I, I know there is something also to be said for you know the, the church leadership, um, I don't know if this is explicitly explicitly stated in like the handbook or not, but it, it, it seems as though there's uh, the, the church leadership, the local church leadership, bishop, um, 
you know, elders quorum president, those kind of things. If we're talking about priesthood, um, almost like an obligation that they have to be able to kind of oversee the discussion. And if things get a little bit too out of hand, then to correct the course. And I know this is different from bishop to bishop uh, or leader to leader, because I, I have been in several wards. I've moved around a lot and kind of experienced this. But some bishops just love that diversity. And totally. I even had a bishop when I was up at BYU-Idaho. I had a bishop who called me to be the Sunday school president, even though he knew that I didn't believe anything literally, really, or, or much. And I was like, right, really? Like, and he's like, but yeah. Facilitation skills. Too. Yeah. Like, and that, and that, and that, exactly. That's what he wanted. And I, I, I respected him a lot just to, to be able to have that vision for his ward, to be able to encourage diversity and to, to encourage discussion. But then on the other hand, you might have a bishop that will actually pull you aside, uh, bring you into your office and actually, you know, sometimes even reprimand you uh, for some comments you've made uh, publicly and um, which I know has happened before. And um, again, not saying that's right or wrong. It's just it's 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 a difficult thing to do consistently across the church um, in, in wards and stakes because it's not consistent in terms of implementation on a leadership level. It's also tough because members are at different spiritual levels too. You know, you may have a brand new convert sitting in that ward who mm -hmm. is just, you know, doesn't know a lot about the gospel. Whereas you maybe have other people who have been in for 60 years and have been saying the same things every week, you know, pretty much. So mm -hmm. it's tough to know yeah. what's the correct place for it. And time and I feel discussion. like it's not my place uh, and maybe any of our places to sit in judgment of how the church runs itself sure. and yeah. sure. bishops do their thing. And, um, yeah. But it's also my bias that sometimes I wish and I, I want to be open-minded and respect people that think you should keep the reins and, and you shouldn't have a, you know, a discussion focused, you know, lesson you should focus on, you know, you should teach on Daniel and you shouldn't think about all of the directions that's going to take in the application as we integrate the principles that should be taught that's like a you know a theory difference but uh difference in opinion of theory but my bias is sometimes i wish they would just let go of the reins and let it go wherever they want and i think i'd like to think of these phrases uh not on the again the overall church level but certainly on the kind of the micro church level on the uh i think about um i'm afraid this might be a little too polarized but I think about the idea of the old guard and the new guard, and I do think some of the old guard is passing and some new ways of coming, uh, of doing things is, is in some of the, the leadership. And I think I think some of that, there is a potential to change. And so in my view is if they could let go of the reins enough, you know, to be able to let people stand up and share their opinions, it's possible that, you know, Mitch and that ex experience you gave recently going to church, if you could have room for your voice, I don't, I don't know how it would impact your decision, but I'm guessing you'd be more likely to keep attending. And the quorum would help to meet your unaddressed needs. And I think just some of these old guard ways that have maybe been very important and help the church stay intact maybe, or or whatever, I think um, like the idea of this is, this is like more macro level, you know, comment, but, or language, but like correlation, I think some of our ideas have been need to be uncorrelated and there needs to be room to like help our quorums or relief societies or Sunday schools our wards and stakes to address some of the unmet needs, whether you stay in the church or not to allow you to stay more or feel, feel like you can be there and belong. Yeah. If you want to. Yeah. I would love that. Make it easier. 
for people like me. (laughs) For sure. Well, we're about out of time, so... I think we'll probably end it here, but yeah. I want to talk for like another two hours. No, for real. <laughs> this has been yeah. This I feel like we just scratched the surface of yeah. all the experience and expertise you have, Paul, and uh, we really appreciate again your time. And um, yeah, is there, is there anything kind of concluding remarks that you'd like to say? I guess before we kind of wrap things up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I would just uh, maybe gently adjust adjust what you said and say uh, i'm glad to tap into my expertise and share what i I can and and, um i have lots of thoughts and opinions and some of them are formally educated but i feel like we have just a lot of life experience between us three and i appreciate some of that and part of me feels like it's not right to say this but part of me feels like with what you said like you almost have a spiritual experience it feels like we're kind of having church here the three of us no, it's not church and it's not <laughs> Sunday, but yeah, people coming together. There's no pictures yeah. of Jesus on the wall here. <laughs> but church Sunday school apparently wasn't always held on Sundays, and they would probably sometimes meet on Tuesday night. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this this has been fun to kind of uh, just have the discussion. It's been meaningful to me. Same yeah. to you. Yeah. Likewise, yeah. thanks for coming. Appreciate on. it. Yeah. Um, is it okay if we put a link to your dissertation in the show notes for those who would like to? Oh yeah, into that? yeah. It's yeah. linked right now through, or it's yeah, it goes to the Oregon State, you know, university where okay. they list dissertations. And, and that's public access, access, right? You don't need like. Okay. And I would also say, and I hope it's okay. I say this, Paul, but um, Bountiful Counseling. Um, we we know now we've got the the head therapist here at Bountiful Counseling that we know can coach you through a faith crisis. So if you're in the area and you're looking for a therapist, these these people are great here and. Um, and of course, any resource that you need uh, for mental health, we, we hope that you can find it. Yeah. Yeah, I love working with people that are in a spiritual crisis. It's very meaningful work. Cool. It's very sacred. I yeah. don't always try to use that word, and even though, even when people leave the church, I think it's very sacred to help people figure things out. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Thanks again, Paul.